A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on Sim. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights were probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 431. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are continuing our discussion about Thunderbirds at the Movies. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. So this is a roughly yearly thing we do where we look at a spinoff from a TV series that we've covered into another medium. So this time we're looking at the three cinematic theatrical films based on Thunderbirds. The Thunderbirds TV series, Jerry Anderson's Supermarionation show from the 1960s had a couple of marionette-based films in the 60s, and then a live-action film in 2004. It did indeed, which we'll get to in a moment, but we'll stay in the 60s and just wrap up Thunderbirds 6 from 1968. In fact, released in July 1968. We know this followed a sort of six-month gap between the completion of the film and its release date, which some people suggest may have been due to United Artists rather losing faith in the Thunderbirds projects, particularly as they hadn't managed to secure a US network deal for the second series of Thunderbirds. And of course, it had stopped broadcasting on British TV as well. Yeah, they ended up truncating the second series and doing a shorter second series for Thunderbirds on TV. Oh, that's right, yes. And of course, the Andersons still threw themselves wholeheartedly into this premiere, once again arranging a big premiere event, this time at the Leicester Square Odeon in London, where a lot of big movies debut. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I've looked into this because I know that they were also managed to run this out in a sort of rather special double or even triple bill with Thunderbird 6 where cinemas would show Thunderbird 6 in the afternoon and then in the evening they would show a double bill re-release of the James Bond films Goldfinger from 1964 and Thunderbolt from 1965 and the reason I know about this is because I remember this is how I saw Thunderbird 6 this is my earliest cinema memory I've been taken to see Thunderbird 6 in the afternoon knowing that my parents were going to see the James Bond movie sort of straight afterwards and you can find the posters for this cinematic sort of triple bill on the internet so you know sometime in 1968 or later i must have been taken to one of these performances wow that must have been a remarkable showing having those three there certainly action-packed certainly was and of course my parents like many people loved the james bond movies yes they were a huge phenomenon at the time And unfortunately, despite all of this and the double bills or triple bills and the big premieres, 
and all of this that they put at it, it still underperformed at the box office. And Thunderbirds popularity had waned and it seemed that parents were just not taking their kids to see puppet movies at that point and big budget films of the anderson shows it seemed like that had pretty much ended until 2004 which brings us to thunderbirds the film from 2004 and now we know that partly because of the resurgence of popularity of Thunderbirds on British television in the early 1990s, that a live-action version had been in a sort of pre-production since the mid-1990s when the film production company Polygram had acquired the rights. So they then handed it to working title and Studio Canal Productions uh, companies to develop the live-action version of Thunderbirds, The screenplay was written by William Osborne and Michael McCullers working on a story from Peter Hewitt, a long-time fan of the series who had originally been slated to direct the film. But in actual fact, the film, the direction was then handed to none other than Commander Will Riker himself, Jonathan Frakes. Yes, that's right. Frakes being quite established as a director by this time. And it shows us something about how well remembered Thunderbirds was from the 60s and how much the reruns had caught people's imagination, that people were still interested decades later in a new production and there was a state of high excitement about this production brian yeah absolutely well when they had the announcement that bill paxton was going to play jeff tracy and ben kingsley was going to play the hood this was you know big stuff you had big name actors and well-loved actors coming into this project that was you know this well-remembered puppet series and you know to even to go along with that great casting we then get Sophia Miles as Lady Penelope we have Ron Cook playing Parker Vanessa Hudgens plays Tintin and Anthony Edwards from ER is brains in this. So the cast was quite spectacular. It was, yeah. So the plot of this one, the Hood, a recurring villain from Thunderbirds, discovers the secret location of the Thunderbirds base, the international rescue base on Tracy Island, and manages to trap Jeff and most of his sons, the older sons, on board Thunderbird 5, which is crippled and in orbit. So the father and four of the five brothers are trapped in orbit for most of the film, leaving young Ellen Tracy, portrayed as a younger character than he is than he was in the original. Young Alan Tracy, along with Tintin and Brain's son, called Fermat, to race against time to save the day with only Lady Penelope and Parker to help them, and they are up against the hood and these villains. So for the production of this film, they needed, obviously, location shooting for the fabulous sort of Tracy Island, and that was shot on location in the Seychelles Islands, which actually looks the part. Then, of course, there's quite a lot of set building and shooting at Pinewood Studios here in the UK. 
And an interesting note, we've mentioned the screenplay by Osborne and McCullers, but they had to rewrite a lot of the dialogue for Lady Penelope and Parker, and this was rewritten by Richard Curtis of Four Weddings and a Funeral and uh, Notting Hill and many other great films, fame. So he punched up the dialogue for Lady Penelope and Parker. And I'm going to say, Brian, introduced quite a lot more comedy into that. Yes, and I think had a pretty good sense of how those two characters should work. Mm. And Ford of Europe built a customized Fab One car for Penelope and Parker to be used in the film. One that looked very good, I would say. Yeah, looks fantastic. And the music was composed by Hans Zimmer and Raman Jadwadi of Game of Thrones fame. So impressive bringing in these composers on it. And they had the band Busted releasing a tie-in single called Thunderbirds Are Go. So production-wise, they've got everything going for this production, Brian. They've got... They put a lot into it. Yes, they've got, a, you know, a big director. They've got Richard Curtis punching up the script. They've got this fantastic cast, wonderful locations, wonderful sets and so on. But interestingly, one thing they didn't have was Jerry Anderson, who was still alive and who, for some reason, was not involved or invited to be involved in production. And, of course, Jerry Anderson has since passed away. But his son, Jamie, who does the Jerry Anderson podcast, has spoken about this on the podcast that they didn't really involve Jerry at all in the production. And then at the last moment, they invited him to come to the premiere and help promote the film, something that he declined to do. And I think when he saw the film later on, he was he felt that he was right to do that. Yes, Anderson was still working at this point. Jerry Anderson's new Captain Scarlet computer animated series, it was it debuted after this. So this was still, you know, near the end of it, but still during Jerry Anderson's career. And of course, it's a Thunderbirds movie. It debuts in July 2004, and guess what? Didn't do very well at the box office. This time we know the box office takings an estimated $28 million worldwide against an estimated $57 million uh, budget for the production. And clearly something is wrong with those figures, Brian. Yes, indeed. And the reaction by the fans, well, we'll say it was less than positive. Yeah, we will get to that in a moment. Yes, the fans were not impressed and for some pretty good reasons. But I think it's time to get to some of our own thoughts on on this. So we'll try to go through these one by one fairly quickly. Thunderbirds are go. What did you like, Eamon? Well, we know that Derek Meddins and his team had to make everything bigger and better and more sort of less imperfections for the big screen. And I think, as ever, their work on the vehicles, the machinery, the special effects is all great stuff and looks really good in its sort of like film format. So the actual sort of like look of it and the way the design and the way all these special effects work is done, that's all fantastic, I think, Brian. Yes, I would agree. They had to take a television, you know, 1960s television marionette show and change it into a theatrical film and uh, still with marionettes. And at that time, the gulf between what you needed to do for a television production and a film production 
one was enormous. And they bridged that gap and made it work as a film very well. I was impressed with how, how well they made it work. What about the Mars stuff? When Zero X lands on Mars and they have uh, an alien encounter. Did you, what about that? Did you enjoy that stuff? I thought that was, that was pretty good, but it didn't feel like Thunderbirds. It felt like it was something else. Yes, feels like the start of another film or it should be in another anderson film yes and of course it has similarities to the plot or the opening of captain scarlet and the mistrons the writing for this first film you know jerry and sylvia anderson writing it to take it to the big screen i thought it was okay but getting more more definitely you know more clearly into the negatives I think what we see a lot of is that Thunderbirds does not work that well for an extended runtime. Back when we covered the television series, I said that going from a 25-minute runtime to a 50-minute runtime was a mistake, and I, th I think that's true. But going to this extended runtime, that's really a stretch for Thunderbirds. And in this one, it felt like it was about three or four different movies squeezed together. And I think it would have worked better if they had actually made it as an anthology with the dream sequence with Alan Tracy as a sort of comedy introduction episode. And then Zero X the movie with uh, Thunderbirds showing up for security as, you know, the main feature. And then the second feature being the rescue they do at the end you know making it as like an anthology of three separate things i think could have made a much better film for this yes now i wanted the rescue from international rescue and i wanted to get to the rescue much sooner yeah like a lot of the thunderbirds episodes they do take a lot of time moving things around getting people and craft into various positions for things to go wrong there's a sort of like a lot of setup before we get to the thunderbirds are go moment and that was one of my problems with this film and the next one in fact that it takes so long to actually get to the exciting stuff i thought they should have opened with a big international rescue to sort of establish you know what these craft are and what they can do so that was one of my problems it does take a long time building up to the final sequences yes a lot of this is sort of zero x the movie yeah with a strange musical interlude from cliff richard and the shadows which depends what you feel about 1960s nightclub acts um <laughs> It's there. It's in the middle. It's the actual Cliff Richards and the actual Shadows doing the voice work. Yes, very strange for sure. So shall we move on to Thunderbird 6? Let's go to 1968 and say Thunderbird 6. What did you like about this one, Brian? Okay, I enjoyed... This is my favorite of the three films. I enjoyed the storyline and the writing of this. The visuals, all of that was there. We know they can do those. And they proved they could do it on the, the big screen with Thunderbirds or Go. But I think this one was tied together as a story much better. It's got the live action shooting of the Tiger Moth. And of course... 
Joan Hughes standing in for Lady Penelope piloting the Tiger Moth. They they went they went quite hard on some of the live action stuff and showing more of real people than just the sort of hands that we know from the TV series, Brian. Yes, this is some of the best super marionation visuals you'll see. You know, some of the best visuals in a super marionation production that you'll see. And the idea that she flew that under a motorway bridge on the M40 before it was open to the public and that she did it twice and that both times felt it was unsafe to actually put the wheels on the ground but still managed to get underneath the bridge and clear it completely is astonishing to me, Brian. Yes, remarkable footage and there is some nice documentary coverage of it on the DVD extras of the Filmed in Supermarionation documentary. Oh, right, yes. Fabulous stuff. One to go and look at again. Absolutely. So, yeah, I felt that they saw some of the issues with the the previous one and were able to build on it and improve both the visuals and the writing. I'll mention a couple of points. One is an infamous shot at the, towards the start of the film where a group of executives or politicians are laughing at brains about his suggestion to build a futuristic airship. And this features puppet heads where the mouth opens much more than we used to and shows quite a lot of teeth. A shot that is either funny or, to a certain extent, rather creepy and scary, depending on how you look at it, Brian. Yeah, that one was a little odd. And there's also the ongoing plot line about Jeff Tracy asking for a new Thunderbird 6, but not saying what it should do or anything about it, and just telling Brains to come up with a new a new Thunderbird and Brains being constantly frustrated by this. That, I thought, you know, was done for some comedy, but I thought that was just strange. It is a bit strange, yeah. Poor old Brains is played for laughs again in this one. I'm going to mention quickly the film poster for this. This is not the combination film poster for, you know, Bond and Thunderbirds, but just the basic Thunderbird 6 poster which was drawn by British comics legend Frank Bellamy, who I've recently been talking about on my own other podcast, Mega City Book Club. And I just love Frank Bellamy's work. So it was great to see the poster by him. It's cropped down and used, I think, in the Bond combination posters that you can find on the internet as well. But that's a highlight for me as well. Oh, interesting. Cool. Adding to the the negative side on this, although it's better, I think it still has the problem that a movie length is just too long for a Thunderbirds production. And as you say, it takes a long time to get to the rescues. There's some good stuff in their rescues and the footage on the on the plane and with them hanging onto the plane. All there's some some good stuff there. But they have to construct a slightly awkward story in order to make this work as a full length movie. And we'll say that Lady Penelope Parker and Alan Tracy are passengers on the airship and there's quite a lot of sort of different rooms and running around on the airship and various bad guys up there who are going to try and sabotage the maiden flight and that sort of stuff again i found it took too long to get to what i wanted which is the rescue yeah uh, yeah i like that stuff but yeah you were waiting for there to finally be a rescue there yeah it's interesting i mean like you know I, it holds this dear part in my memory because it's the first film i can remember seeing at the cinema and I know, you know, that I saw Thunderbird 6 with my brothers and that my parents, I remember them seeing Thunderball particularly. I think that's the one they went to. 
But yeah, so it holds a dear part, you know, important part in my memory. But I do look at it now and see, oh yeah, it does go on a bit. Yes. So I think it's time for us to talk about Thunderbirds from 2004. Oh, blimey. Okay. (laughs) I will say that fan excitement about this was enormous. Everybody was so looking forward to this uh, live action version of the Thunderbirds. And the casting just seemed perfect. To give you an idea of the anticipation... In 2003-2004, we had the announcement we were expecting a new Doctor Who TV series for the first time in many years. We had a new Thunderbirds movie announced. We had a new Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie announced. And a new Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio series announced. So these were all things that hadn't been running as regular television series, you know, episodic television series since the 80s, or in the case of Thunderbirds, since the 60s, and, you know, reruns, but hadn't had original series running since then. And there was some excitement about all of this British science fiction stuff that was, you know, apparently starting to have something of a renaissance, which it really did have at that point. So exciting to be a British television scientist science fiction fan at this point absolutely brian you're quite right and when we you know when we heard about the casting you've got ben kingsley playing the hood bill paxton everybody loves bill paxton on screen always have done and then of course you know lower down the casting sophia miles and ron cook he just couldn't we couldn't believe it until we actually saw the movie yes so here's the should it be the the Thunderbird two in the room rather than the 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 elephant in the room? Yeah. So the script was really not Thunderbirds. It was a script about a group of three children saving the day from the villains while the adults were all out of the way and not able to help. Yes, and I can see why they thought that would work for its audience. That they, I can see why they went with that sort of spy kids the youngsters have to save the day when the adults are uh, incapacitated or locked up or whatever but they forced thunderbirds into that mold and it just didn't fit it didn't fit no we still again we wanted more of thunderbirds doing what thunderbirds do doing the international rescue and having the kids running around getting into scrapes on the island getting themselves in and out of trouble seemed a bit weird The kids themselves, they're okay, but they're not the most charismatic screen presences. And yeah, it was all a bit strange. Were there any good parts about it that you liked, Brian? There were. They did have a rescue at the beginning of the film, which is exactly what you were looking for in the previous ones. They did do that. Yeah. And that rescue was not bad. And I think the look of the vehicles and that sort of thing, I think it was done pretty well. I think Jonathan Frakes did a nice job with the direction, given the, the script they were doing. So, yeah, they made what they had work in some ways, but it sidelined almost all of what Thunderbirds is, which made it really not work so well. Try, you know, trying to blend those two ideas just didn't work. I will say that I will agree with that, Brian, and I will say that the bit that really worked for me, the initial rescue is I thought was great and I was quite excited. But the bit that worked after that for me was Lady Penelope and Parker. Sophia Miles, particularly, 
and Ron Cook as Parker seem to be having a great deal of fun in the roles. And obviously we know Richard Curtis punched up the script for those two characters. He seems to get it nearer to Thunderbirds for me. Those two characters seeming to be just more interesting and more exciting on screen whenever they're there. So I loved all the Penelope and Parker stuff. They both seem to be having tremendous fun taking on those characters. And I think they got those characters. Yeah, just great. I could have watched a movie about Lady Penelope and Parker with those two or a TV series with them. That would have been great. And the the interesting thing when they're looking for this the children saving the day while the while the adults can't that exists in the jerry anderson supermarionation canon that's joe 90 joe 90 yeah and if they had made a thunderbirds and joe 90 crossover movie instead with joe 90 and a couple of other kids saving the day that could have that could have worked. That could have had something to it. Well, maybe you have International Rescue doing multiple rescues throughout the, the film and then coming in to, to help save the day at the end or something like that. But the potential to do the kind of thing they wanted to do existed if they were to bring Joe 90 into it. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, well, in the comics, did that kind of thing. They crossed over the Thunderbirds and all of the Super Marionation shows quite a bit. So that's something that, that had potential, but that's not what they did. I don't know if they would have had the rights to do that or not, but they tried to squeeze Thunderbirds in into something that it just wasn't and if you didn't know thunderbirds at all when you were coming into this i think it would still be kind of awkward because you have the group of them being stranded in orbit on thunderbird 5 and having very little screen time and that's sort of a strange thing the only reason to have that is so we can have international rescue and the tracy's still being in the film in some way yeah strange i will mention the gag that some of our listeners will want to us to just note which is the tv series of thunderbirds was famous for when they needed a close-up of a hand they would actually have an actual human hand operating the button or the piece of machinery or whatever it was and for this live action thunderbirds they do reverse that joke at one point with the character i think it's fermat's hand is seen on a control and they used a puppet hand yes that is a joke that's come up in a couple of things but yes that was good that they made some proper puppet reference in there okay so that's 2004 thunderbirds we've rattled through our own views on these three movies we've got a question brian which is why doesn't thunderbirds work on the big screen because each of these films has flopped basically at the box office yeah so i think it's runtime right i think thunderbirds does not work well in an extended runtime and the best one they did in terms of working i think was thunderbird 6 and that had to be sort of something, you know, with Thunderbirds characters, but it had to be something else for much of the runtime. So I think that's the, the big issue. I think Thunderbirds works best in about the 25-minute runtime, as we had in those anniversary episodes that were done from the, the record albums they added, the uh, marionette animation in 2015. 
I think it works best being shorter. And as a full-length theatrical thing, I think it's just too much time to work well for Thunderbirds. Yes, one of the surprising things from the rewatch of the TV series was the length of the episodes, which we know was Lou Grade's idea. And it did take a while for sometimes for the, you know, the disaster to happen and international rescue to get to the rescue. And then you extend that to 90 minutes or more for a movie and it does seem to sort of drag out a bit. So that's an interesting point. I also, I felt that for the first two movies, Jerry and Silver Anderson should have got somebody to help them with the script and maybe get more action in early on. And then for the 2004 version, I wish they'd got Richard Curtis to do the whole thing, actually. He might have got nearer the mark. Yes, they probably should have had more of Jerry and Sylvia Anderson's involvement. I'm sure if either of them, they weren't particularly working together at that point. They had been divorced for some time. But if Jerry Anderson had been a producer on that... I think it would have looked very different. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe it would have got nearer to the original series, but with the added bonus of the great cast and the wonderful, you know, or or at least with the, the effects that CGI could do in 2004. So would you want to see a new attempt at Thunderbirds on the big screen? And what would you want it to look like? Uh, I think the answer is... <laughs> Based on these three relative box office failures, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say Thunderbirds doesn't work on the big screen. We've had cartoon versions of Thunderbirds Go on British television since, of course, which has been much more successful in attracting its young audience. So taking it to the big screen, I'm trying to think of a Jerry Anderson property that would work better on a big screen. Maybe it would be something like UFO rather than Thunderbirds or Captain Scarlet. What about yourself, Brian? Do you you think it should be tried again? I would think if it's Thunderbirds, it probably should be a crossover with Thunderbirds and one of the others. If it's any of the the Jerry Anderson things, the live-action ones like UFO, that could work. I think Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons could work. If you take some influence from the 2005 animated show that sort of brings in different structure to it, I think that would work a little better. Okay, that's an interesting one. So, I think we should get to our recommendations. Do you want to start with this one? (laughs) Okay, it's a tricky one, Brian, because as listeners know, and as you know, I love Thunderbirds. It's a sort of like a major part of my childhood viewing on television. I don't think any of these three films really work. I would suggest that if you can get the DVDs or Blu-rays for the first two films, Thunderbirds Are Go and Thunderbirds 6, they're probably worth it just for the special features, the extra features that you get on those discs. 2004 Thunderbirds is a complete pass from me, apart from when Sophia Miles is on screen. But apart from that, it's a complete pass. So a sort of cautious recommendation for the first two and a real thumbs down for the third one, the live action one. What about yourself, Brian? Yeah, so I'm not going to recommend these. If you're a Thunderbirds fan, you've seen them already. You know what these are. If you're newer to a I would not recommend this. I think the anniversary episodes they did in 2015 are great, and some of the original ones are good if even those were a little long. But I will still say in the Super Marionation-based things... My recommendation is both versions of Captain Scarlet. Look at those. And the Thunderbirds movies, no, I'm not going to recommend them. Okay. 
Usually when we get to Anderson stuff, you're going to suggest Captain Scarlet, and I'm going to say that these films won't break into my top five of Anderson watching. It does tend that way sometimes, doesn't it? It does. But as ever, if you've seen these films, if you remember seeing the 60s films at the time, or even the excitement of going to see the 2004 live-action version, then please come by the Facebook, the Twitter, or the email and get in touch and let us know what you think. So, in summary, Thunderbirds on television in the 1960s introduced us to the Tracy family and their organization International Rescue, where they had fantastic vehicles that were used to rescue people from all sorts of situations. And when that went onto the big screen, we had Thunderbirds Are Go and Thunderbirds 6 in the 1960s, where we had some of these rescues on the big screen. And we had the introduction of this spaceship Zero X going to Mars and also this fantastical dream sequence and even a performance by Cliff Richard in the Shadows. And then getting into things with this airship and a tiger moth old plane being involved in things. In 2004, we go from puppets into live action and we get into a group of children, one of the Tracy brothers and two other kids getting to foil the villains while the rest of the Tracy brothers and the father are trapped in orbit on Thunderbird 5. Fantastic. Well summarized, Brian. Now, next time, we are going to go back to the small screen. We're back on British science fiction television and perhaps on safer ground. We're going to be looking at Channel 4's series Humans, which ran over three seasons from 2015 to 2018, and we'll sort of give it away slightly. We're going to be talking a little bit about synthetic humans in our next pair of episodes. Yes, absolutely. Some interesting stuff to get into there for sure. Until then, you can find all of our previous episodes on BritishInvaders.com, including the Thunderbirds and Anderson-related ones. And if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, we have a group there. And we are also on Twitter as at BritInvadersPod. So please come along and join us there absolutely give us a follow on both of those platforms and come and follow us on the voice of geeks network at vognetwork.com you hear me talking about them in every episode they've got podcasts they've got gaming content and twitch streaming and other stuff going on at the voice of geeks head to vognetwork.com and say tell them that brian and eamon said hello absolutely so thank you for listening and this is brian from canada signing off Yes, until next time, it's Eamon in England saying, Thunderbirds are gone.